Welcome to Two Hypnotherapists Talking with me, Denise Billen Mejia in Delaware, USA. And me, Martin Ferber in Preston, UK. This weekly podcast is for anyone and everyone who would like to know more about the fascinating subject of hypnosis and the benefits it offers. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist and psychotherapist. I'm a retired medical doctor turned consulting hypnotist. We are two hypnotherapists talking. So let's get on with the episode. Okay, let's get on with the show. And this week we've got a guest, Denise. Uh, I'm going to ask him to introduce himself, Dan Roberts. Hi, Dan. Thank you. Hello to both of you. Very happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Uh, So I am a psychotherapist based in London. I'm an advanced accredited schema therapist, trainer and supervisor, and an internal family systems trained therapist. So, and yeah, I'm a psychotherapist working in private practice in the UK. May I ask a question right up front for the, particularly Mm. for the American listeners and viewers, what is a schema therapist? So what is a schema or what is a schema therapist? Either, either way, I I mean. (laughs) I could probably intuit what schema means, but tell me what it means in your world. Let's start with schema and then that will lead on to what's a schema therapy. Sure. So a schema is a neural network in the brain that holds all sorts of information. And what I always say to my clients is we have thousands and thousands of schemas in the brain, which are very, very useful and we don't want to get rid of them at all. So <clears throat> because your brain's always trying to save energy, it creates these shortcuts for things that we do a lot, right? So Mm -hmm. when I went to make this lovely cup of coffee before I came on, I didn't have to get out my coffee manual. And, you know, I was just like, make coffee, and I made the coffee. Mm -hmm. So that's a schema, right? That's a coffee-making schema in my brain that holds all of that information so I don't have to think about it every time I do it. So we have all of these very helpful or the worst sort of neutral schemas in the brain. But we also have 18 what are called early maladaptive schemas. And these are kind of blueprints or templates of things that happen to us repeatedly as children that were stressful in some way. So for example, probably the most common schema would be defectiveness. And that's like the low self-esteem schema. You know, that's the one where I feel like I'm not good enough. Other people are smarter than me, you know, that kind of thing. And that might come from repeatedly being told that I was stupid or lazy or no good by my parents or a teacher. So it's these very painful ways of thinking and feeling that develop through repeated stressful experiences as kids. And then when you're an adult and you're a 56 year old man like me, you have these schemas kind of very wired in to the brain. And then if something stressful happens, which reminds me of the earlier stressful thing, the schema fires up. And then I think in a kind of distorted way and I have lots of negative self-beliefs and I feel very intense emotions and that leads to behavior, right? We call it schema-driven behavior. That it sounds sense? remarkable. Yes, it is. It also sounds a lot like, quote, theory of mind, which is when I explain what hypnosis is, we're, we're, we're looking at the things that you just, quote, know, mm. because you don't have to examine them and think about them. This X happens, I want to react by Y without having mm-hmm. to think. And if you had to think about every single thing, like making the coffee, walking down the stairs, making the bed, whatever, you wouldn't 
get out the house in the morning, you'd be just stuck thinking through all of those things. <laughs> right. So we need those schemas or whatever we call them right. in the brain, right? They're useful. But there are these 18 which are tricky for us in some mm -hmm. ways. So, for example, there's one around abandonment. There's one around emotional deprivation or emotional neglect. There's a failure schema. You know, there's all these different schemas right. which which we have because we had painful stuff usually when we were kids. Mm. So D done. Uh, oh, sorry. Go on. No, you go, Martin. I, I was just going to say um, it reminds me of how I explain the long-term effects of bullying to people. Um, mm -hmm. I, in my work, I talk a lot about a metaphorical stress bucket that we have. And I always say to people, if somebody was bullied as a child repeatedly, called a name, for example, say somebody who was gay, for example, always getting called rude names, in their adult life, when life can be going along quite nicely and they suddenly hit a stressful patch and that stress bucket gets full, the voices of their bullies will come back and taunt them. It'll become the inner narrative. Mm hmm very, very similar kind of territory, mm. isn't it, really? Mm. Yeah, and bullying, you know, I think we're going to go on and talk about trauma in our discussion mm -hmm. today, but bullying is very traumatic for mm. us. I think it's really under-appreciated how traumatic it can be for children. Mm. Yeah, exactly, because well, children haven't got all that that much positive to balance it. If, if you get mm. bullied at work when you're in your 20s and you've had a pretty decent life so far, you're going to be able to explain it that person has issues and, but but uh for a child they they trust the people that are looking after them and they're, they're mm -hmm. gonna yeah. and the bullying of course can happen from slightly older children very very rare as a younger child bullying an older child i suppose that can happen mm -hmm. so that was was that the first uh type of of therapy you got involved with so the first type of therapy was actually CBT, um, mm. cognitive behaviour therapy, uh, which I think is a fantastic model. And I was, I've always worked in private practice. So I've never worked in the NHS. I've always been working for myself. Mm -hmm. So I did. Um, I was a CBT therapist for about six or seven years. <clears throat> I think the thing about CBT is I really think it's a fantastic model, and and it can be life changing for people. I know it has its critics and people knock it as a model, which is mm -hmm. fine. But in my opinion, it's a really, really effective model for most people. But there is a you know, certain section of people that, that don't really get on with it, that don't like it. It doesn't fit for them. <clears throat> a common thing that you hear is like, well, I know I, I'm thinking differently, but I don't feel any different, mm -hmm. you know? So it's quite a sort of effective cognitively, but not really emotionally. Um, and that's what led me to move into, I actually trained in uh, compassion focused therapy first. Mm -hmm. So that's a, what's called a third wave cognitive therapy. So that's a kind of a newer version of CBT, which is a really lovely model and brings in lots of uh, Buddhism, particularly Tibetan Buddhist ideas. Mm -hmm. Lots of evolutionary psychology stuff, which I think is great. It's a really, really great model, but I just I still felt like I needed more. And that mm -hmm. led me to schema therapy, which is a form of cognitive therapy, but it's very integrative. So it, over, it integrates CBT, Gestalt therapy and psychodynamic therapies. 
So I never answered your what's a schema therapist question, so maybe I could answer that. <laughs> well, now you've answered what a schema is. <laughs> yeah, we've got schemas down, haven't we? But, yeah. So schema therapy is an attachment-based model, which I think is really mm -hmm. important. Developed for, for people with trauma histories, basically. I mean, it's developed for people with a diagnosis of BPD, borderline personality disorder. I'm personally not a huge fan of personality disorder diagnoses, but again, there's a big debate about that. But it's like the newest one be... over here. The, the newest one over here is everybody, not actual therapists, just everybody is diagnosing people as narcissists. Mm. <laughs> it's just that's that's the latest flavor, um, mm. and that and and the behavior disorders are are a problem. Personality mm. disorders have a problem. I, I, all of them are a problem, and, but really you need to be qualified to make a diagnosis and so much of it is searching on Google, oh, that I think that fits me or my cousin or my uncle, and, and people acquire labels. Mm -hmm. We have a, a need to put you in a box so we can understand you. We'll put you in right. that box for them. And maybe particularly in the States, I think, it seems to be more diagnostic than it is here. Yeah, a bit more medication heavy, I think, in the States than here, although we're kind of catching up with that, you know. So, yeah, well, you know, I know that some people find these diagnoses very, very helpful and they can also help you to access services, which, as Martin knows, in this country is very difficult for a lot mm. of people. Mm -hmm. So they can be very useful. I'm not against them. I personally just think there are more kind of nuanced ways of describing problems particularly once you understand trauma and the impact of trauma on people. So. Now, can you, can, can you, we're going to be a very, very long rabbit hole here, but mm. trauma, we used to think of as, okay, this is a shell shock people from first world war. These are, these are people who came out of Vietnam. There must be a British version for that. Um, and it was one, one or many large traumas, things mm. that everybody on the planet would recognize as trauma. But really, a lot of us these days are working with smaller but multiple traumas to people. Mm -hmm. Is that the kind of work that you do? So I specialize in complex trauma, and which is almost always childhood trauma, so those kinds of mm -hmm. traumas. Yeah, so if you look at the DSM, you know, the one of the two uh, diagnostic Bibles, the DSM's only trauma diagnosis is PTSD. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that Interestingly to me, only 30% of people develop PTSD after one of these big traumas, right? So I think it's very interesting that 70% of people don't develop PTSD after that, but that's maybe a later discussion. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, yes, you have a car crash or you are in a terror attack or an earthquake or a mugging or, you know, some one very traumatic experience, a single incident trauma, and then you can develop PTSD. The ICD, which is the WHO's, we've got lots of alphabet soup already, haven't we? The <laughs> WHO's version of the DSM, they add CPTSD, right? Complex PTSD as another diagnosis. And that I think is a very useful diagnosis. But again, you're probably getting the feeling I'm not a huge fan of diagnoses these days. And I, I think we need to broaden our understanding of trauma. Mm -hmm. And Gabo Mate, I think, has done particularly a lot of great work around this. And really what he says is trauma is something, an experience that is completely overwhelming for us. 
and overwhelms our capacity for coping with it. Mm. So, <clears throat> you know, we kind of, before we came on air, we had a little chat about bullying and, you know, bullying, I think, is, is a very traumatic thing for a lot of people, but mm -hmm. it probably wouldn't meet the diagnostic criteria, right, in either the DSM or ICD. But if, you, if you're really badly bullied and you're in fear of your life because it's terrifying and it completely overwhelms your ability to cope with it and it changes your personality, you know, and, mm -hmm. and really damages your self-esteem, well, how can we say that's not traumatic? So, so what is what is your approach to those people? I assume that these people are self-referring <laughs> or do you get referrals from private practices? Both, so self-referring or from GPs or psychiatrists mm -hmm. as well. Okay. I, I really like this idea of attachment-based therapy. So all of my therapy is long-term. Mm -hmm. um, and... To me, to me, most traumas that we're talking about, these kinds of small T traumas, right? These complex traumas, these repeated experiences in childhood, almost always happen in relationship. So people are <clears throat> wounded or hurt, usually by the very people who are supposed to keep them safe and protect them, mm -hmm. right? And we see this over and over again, don't we? I'm sure you do too. You know that yeah. a family member was the person that, really hurt the child you know and not always of course because it can happen and you know it could be at school it could be it could also be you know a parent who's not believing the child <laughs> mm. upset about being bullied or sexually assaulted or a number of things mm -hmm. just just shush which is another absolutely. trauma on top of the previous one yeah absolutely and Gabo Mata again talks a lot about that you know the kind of the loneliness of trauma right mm -hmm. that nobody supports us, nobody believes us, and that makes it way more traumatic. So, mm -hmm. <clears throat> But there's a strong argument to say that if we've been hurt in relationship, we need to be healed in relationship. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we try to do in schema therapy is to provide a corrective emotional experience, meaning let's say somebody was um, shouted at every day by their dad, right? And the dad's telling them you're useless and stupid and you're a waste of space and your brother's so much smarter than you and why can't you be more like him right that classic kind mm -hmm. of story well he's been he's been wounded by his dad he's been hurt in relationships so i think he needs to be healed in relationship mm -hmm. and we and we try to really provide um try to meet those needs that were unmet for him as a child right so I'm going to be extra warm and extra encouraging and supportive and really trying to help boost his self-esteem and his self-worth. You know? And to me, that's a lovely kind of goal you know, that can happen in the relationship where we can correct what happened to them when they were a kid. Mm -hmm. So that's a big part of what we do. Do you ever work with families collectively who have that issue? I mean, the shouting father probably didn't have a great childhood either. Right. And <laughs> to well, be repetitive. Right. The trauma is getting passed down, isn't right. it? Generation to generation, which we see so yeah. much. I don't work with families per se. I've often had, <clears throat> it's part of the model that we can bring in certain partners for a few sessions, mm -hmm. if that's helpful. 
I've certainly had brought parents in for a couple of sessions if we think that's mm -hmm. useful. I'm not like a family therapist, so I don't work okay. with the whole group. No. Mm -hmm. I, I'm riveted to this, Dan. <laughs> Forget I'm supposed to be interviewing <laughs> you as well. I'm, I'm riveted with this. I, I like the sound of this. It sounds like a very gentle therapy. I like, mm. this is what I like with hypnotherapy. It's gentle. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. Actually, we're, yeah. one of the things that I wonder about, we've often spoken about the fact that in hypnosis, yes, we need to know what the initiation, what, what the problem is. And if there's a, an overriding thing that caused it, but once that conversation has been had, we can just move forward and deal with the specific complaint mm. that the client has. How much trauma do they have to revisit in your mm. in the therapy that you use? So I think one of the problems we often see with trauma treatment. <clears throat> so if you if you have a a trauma that's let's say you had a sexual assault when you were a child you know you were mm -hmm. abused which is awful but sadly all too common very common mm -hmm. much much more common. we know this now from the adverse childhood experiences study for example don't we that that showed us much much more common than we thought previously mm -hmm. um and then and then you get older and you're obviously still really struggling and it's affecting your relationships and your self-worth and, you know, all sorts of things. And you think, I need therapy, which you probably do. Mm -hmm. And you go and you have a kind of standard counselling or a standard psychotherapy. We actually think that's a really bad idea for big people with a big trauma history because it can be re-traumatising just mm -hmm. to talk a lot about what happened to you. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, you guys are nodding vigorously. Absolutely, yeah. Get that, you know. Big time, yeah. Yeah. And and again, this is from very well-meaning, kind, nice therapists yes. doing their best, you know. But just talking a lot about, for example, the, the abuse, it just re-triggers all that stuff. It brings those memories flooding back. The mm -hmm. person leaves the session, and then what do they do? You know, they're flooded with all this old, horrible material, right? Right. So we do work with trauma in a very careful way that we do a lot of what's called imagery rescripting. So <clears throat> probably a bit like what you do in hypnosis, I'd imagine mm -hmm. that. So we, we would sort of get the person to go back and, and depending on the trauma, we would more or less kind of run through the experience once. Mm -hmm. And then I intervene, I would come into that image and I'm going to protect the child from the abusive person yeah. or I'm going to take them out of there or I'm going to bring in the police or, you know, whatever we need to do to make them feel safe in right. the image. So we do work with trauma memories, but in a very structured, careful way that doesn't re-traumatise. Mm -hmm. So in, yeah. a, in a way, you can rewrite the ending of a traumatic situation the way you're describing mm. that to me. This is really interesting because we were having a conversation last week um, when we were saying about every time we recall a memory, we try we, we do alter it slightly whenever we recollect anything. Um, we, it led us, led Denise and I down a rabbit hole of saying, well, is that because we're trying to actually rewrite it and change it if it was something traumatic? That was last week, wasn't it, Denise, that conversation? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> just went out this year, this week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that idea of re-scripting, right? Meaning mm -hmm. we want to change the story, change the narrative of what mm. happened. 
But of course, it's also for for I used to do a lot of physical exams of children who've been sexually abused for courts. Um, this is twenty odd years ago. Um, the the problem with things like hypnosis is that people won't accept testimony from the child sure. after they've had those kinds of therapies. Do you, do you know if that would be the case with the, the approach you have? Because I mean, we know that every time we look at a memory, we change it a little bit, and obviously. Mm. And the false memory is a thing if you're not very, very, very careful. Right. And I think, you know, I think maybe we can talk a bit about memory now, can't we? And what, what is sure. It? What, I think there's a, a misunderstanding people have is that when they remember something, it's like they get their iPhone and yeah, they press record, out. right? Mm -hmm. And they record an exact version of what happened. And then that recording gets stored in their brain. And then when they want to remember... They like press play on the iPhone and then you get the exact recording, right? Mm -hmm. Memory doesn't work like that at all. So especially trauma memories, you know, trauma mm -hmm. memories are very tricky because number one, they tend to get recorded as implicit memory rather than explicit memory, meaning <clears throat> it's why people with PTSD get flashbacks because when you record that trauma, you don't record the whole story because you're probably dis dissociating and detaching a lot and your brain is shutting down in all sorts of ways to protect you from that overwhelm, right, of mm -hmm. what's happening. So very often what you get is these kind of fragments of memory, you know. <clears throat> so Janina Fisher, who is a, somebody that I really like and is a big expert in the trauma field, she talks about like emotional memories, right, or somatic memories. So where suddenly a trauma survivor is flooded with anxiety and there's mm -hmm. nothing going on in their environment to make them anxious, right? So, so that's a fragment of that implicit memory that's been recorded, but in a very, yeah, not, not recording the whole story kind of way, right? right? And then when you recall a memory, even if we recall a normal memory, I believe that your brain has to kind of reconstruct that lots of little pockets <laughs> right lots of little yeah. pockets in your memory system so yeah so it, it's really important that i say that doesn't mean that we don't believe people when they talk about trauma memories and there's been such a fierce debate around this kind of false memory problem mm -hmm. hasn't there i know um so i i always just start from the premise of i just believe my clients I believe oh yes them. yes you know, if they tell from... me they've been abused i believe it when I use the, the term false memory, thinking from a, <laughs> excuse me to any attorneys out there, thinking mm. from, a, from a legal sense, mm. if everybody confabulates, right? We, we need to make sense of the world. And so we'll make lots of little boxes and try and make sense of it. So it can, if, if the therapist who is working with the patient is not extremely careful, they would mm -hmm. be remembering what they've just explained to you because it made sense in that moment and they they think about it sometimes as a discrete memory mm. separated from the initial attack that happened so it is it's very frustrating to me i i have no desire to work in the criminal area <laughs> but mm. since i used to <laughs> um it is frustrating to me that they've, they've said now you can't use hypnosis There's a couple of states that will allow hypnosis uh, evidence introduced mm. but um, most of them won't, but they now will use what's called the cognitive interview, <laughs> which is pretty...
pretty much the same thing as hypnosis if you actually mm. watch the sessions. Um, and it's hard to know what one can answer to because obviously people who are perpetuating criminal tra trauma, I, I'm talking criminal here, not not the the not everyday traumas of bad behavior, you know, mm. being a parent and losing your sense sometimes and screaming at a child um, based probably on trauma you had. Um, those things are just how how do we figure out where how to retrieve those memories? It's a really good question. And, and neither of us has the answer. <laughs> I don't I don't work in the criminal area, I'm afraid. But all I would say is that my strong hunch is nobody's ever told me about a traumatic memory that hasn't later turned out to be true. You know? mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'd say probably the opposite is more likely that people have all sorts of memories that they've repressed or buried or locked away in some cupboard in their mind, you know, mm -hmm. because they're too hot, they're too frightening, they're too overwhelming. Yeah. And that's very, exactly. very common. I think, you know, one of the things that I'm passionate about saying is that I just think there are so many fantastic models of healing mm -hmm. available mm. now. And I really encourage people to shop around, you know, to kind of do some research and find something that resonates with them right. because there's no and i'm a big fan of integrating lots of different models as well as i'm mm. happy to talk about but you know so for me i don't ever think like oh this is kind of the holy grail of healing you know like just mm -hmm. think there are so many brilliant ways that we have now science back neuroscience informed ways of doing it so mm. Do, have you studied anything on the default mode network about what's happening in our mind when we are relaxing, not when we're asleep, when we're actually relaxing and trying to clear our minds. Have you have mm. you read anything on that? I've read a bit. Um, I'll quickly get into deep water if you ask me too many questions. But no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I know that in mindfulness-based therapies, that's a really important idea, right? It's like mm -hmm. what happens to your brain when you're not paying attention to mm. something. Yeah, mind wandering. Yeah, yeah. No, we we've talked about it because obviously with the advent of EEGs and the availability of such equipment now, just for you know for, for for regular therapists rather than it being really expensive stuff that only the hospitals have, um, they can mm. actually see what's happening in the mind. You know, with the brain waves when we are in that state of relaxation um, and focused attention. Um, so I'd. I'd, I'd that that kind of thing fascinates me. Um, mm. I'm I'm not too clued up on all the technicalities of it, but uh, I find it fascinating. I I think neuroscience is unbelievably fascinating, isn't it? I just find because I mm. didn't have a scientific education, mm. and maybe Denise, this is much more in your area given your history, but I feel like I learn stuff and I forget it, and then I have to relearn it, and then I forget it. Yes. So it doesn't kind of stick always in the. Yeah. the brain but um, very and, and we're all getting older <laughs> yeah <laughs> indeed so what you've you've now practiced you've had this private practice for how long 14 years now okay and before we jumped on the call you were talking about the next thing are you you're going to continue to practice for a while i think i'll always have a therapy practice i'm just looking to reduce that a bit um I really love doing therapy, but especially if you're working in a complex trauma field, 
honestly, it can be pretty heavy and it can take mm -hmm. a toll, you know. And so I've always kind of had this idea of like, well, I love this work, but how can I pivot to do something which is a bit less demanding of me? Mm -hmm. And so I do more and more supervision now. I have, I think, nine supervisees at the moment. So that's. I don't really think it's nice. necessarily. I don't think it's necessarily less work. It's just there's less emotion of your own emotion yeah. that's there. You've got to be careful when you're working with people. Yeah, I, I feel like with supervision, it's more intellectually demanding for me, and yes. not, not emotionally demanding. So mm. yeah, I really like that. <clears throat> and I'm more and more moving now into teaching and writing. So I'm literally just been commissioned to write a self-help book, which I'm hoping will be published next year. We're still in the kind of early stages, but mm -hmm. looking good. So that's very exciting. Do you have a working title yet? I'm probably not allowed to say what the working title oh, okay. is, but I can certainly <laughs> say the beginning is healing from childhood trauma. So that's the focus of the book. Well, when that comes um, out, you'll have to come back on and tell us about it, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'd love to do that. Um, yeah, so that's really exciting. And... Um, so, you know, more and more writing and then more and more teaching. So I'm more, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have done a lot of teaching of webinars and workshops. Um, I have taught mental health professionals a lot, but I guess I'm more and more focusing on kind of teaching the public mm -hmm. and maybe resonating a bit with what you do so much of, Martin, which is sort of sharing these really important ideas, right, about mental health, about healing, about... I mean, with the newspaper articles... Yeah. yeah, but also yeah. with the with the with the uh, teaching work that you're doing with the other group, pack. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I I'm an HFA England instructor, so I teach people to be mental health first aiders, um, mm. which I actually really enjoy doing that because um, it does bring a lot of the information out to the masses, as it were, so people know more about these things and just basically so people can realize with a lot of things a lot of issues are common um the mm -hmm. amount of people who realize when or, or the amount of people who think because they're having a bad time and can't sort of put a title to how they're feeling or even vocabularize verbalize how they're feeling um you know i, I, I hate to use the word normal i like to usualize things um some of the <laughs> terminology for people that's the way i put it um, but I, I really enjoy teaching the mental health first aid course. It's far more than I ever thought I would do. Mm. And I think it's so important, isn't it, to get that information out to people that yeah. wouldn't maybe come for therapy or wouldn't be reading self-help books or wouldn't listen to podcasts, and, you know that. Admittedly, I have not lived in the UK for a terribly long time, but it was very familiar even 20 years ago. If you, if you expressed to anybody that you were feeling a little down, for whatever reason, you usually got buck up. Yeah, snap mm. out of it. And yeah, so hopefully we can have more nuanced conversations with people. What's the problem? Well, can you believe it? We've reached the end of the episode. Yes, because oh, wow, it happens every week. We're always, in, we're, always, we're always in the middle of a conversation. Do you have any parting words you'd like to give us, sir? I mean, really, just to say thank you so much again for having me oh. on. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you guys and. Yeah, I could talk for seven days straight about all of this stuff. So it's just so fascinating, isn't it? And mm -hmm. We yeah. have to come on again, Dan, especially when your book comes out. You must come back on and um, tell us about it. 
Shall Thank you. I'd love to do out. that. When, when you're allowed to tell us the title. Yeah. <laughs> I know, when it's not top secret. Yeah. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed listening. Please remember, this podcast is designed to give you an insight into therapeutic hypnosis and is for educational purposes only. So remember, consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you've heard may apply to you or a loved one. If you found this episode useful, you can apply for free continuing professional development or CME credit using the link provided in the show notes. Feel free to contact either of us through the links in the show notes. Join us again next week.